My name is Caitlin, and I serve here at Infuse as groups director, but I'm up here this morning to bring you the final week in our sermon series, Beneath the Surface. And the tagline here is healing what holds you back. We've had the chance to hear from a few different speakers across the last four weeks, so if you've missed any of those, be sure to check them out on our Facebook page, our website, our app, where you can watch or listen and get to know how they interpreted this message and what they um, taught us about healing, what holds us back. And for this final week, though, I wanted to try to do something that would really kind of sum it all up, bring it on home for you, and make it memorable, right, as we end this sermon series together. And so I have brought quite the prop with me this morning. You may have been wondering this entire time what a large door was doing on the stage. (laughs) Just intriguing your interest level here. Um, But I brought a front door replica for you today. So this isn't exactly like my front door, but if you've been to my house, like this is the wreath that usually hangs on the door. Um, This is the fern planter, although had to substitute with a fake fern for today because the real fern was a little out of commission, didn't want to bring that one in and show you guys that. Had to spruce it up a bit. Um, And then a welcome mat. It says, welcome to our home. And how similar does this probably look to many of your front doors or front steps or entrance into your apartments or condos, wherever you live? Um, Probably a lot of your neighbors, too. Um, I know that I had a chance to knock on a lot of doors um, for inviting to our block party in our neighborhood. So my husband, my son, and I, we went around, knocked on a large majority of the neighbor's doors, um, and everyone kind of had a similar-ish setup. There were some decorations, usually a plant, dead or alive. Um, We had some form of a mat, sometimes a welcome mat, but if not a welcome mat, typically at some point you're going to see like a welcome sign right? Something that's welcoming you to this home, which is really a kind thing to do. But what I noticed when I was going around knocking on these doors, and I'm not blaming or shaming my neighbors here because I'm going to tell you I'm also guilty of this, and maybe some of you are too. My husband told me he's never done this, but hopefully other people can relate, that when someone knocks on your door or rings your doorbell and you freeze exactly where you are, you don't move, you try to make everyone free so they don't know that you're home, Okay, maybe some of you, right? Because either you're not dressed to impress, or you haven't washed your hair in a while, or you just really don't feel like talking to anyone right now for whatever reason, you just try to hide. So you're not welcoming them into your home. And I experienced that some, knocking on the neighbor's doors, and again, not blaming them because I do it myself, but it made me start to think about this concept, right? That we have these welcome signs, but we're not always the most welcoming, right? We put it out there, we make everything look really nice and approachable. We might not always be approachable. So that's why I kind of term, coined this term, the front door effect, right? The front door effect is the front that we put on as humans. So in this case, it's your welcome sign or mat, but in other cases, it could be when you're saying to someone, when they ask you, how are you? And you reply, I'm fine. Or, I'm great, but deep down, you're really not. Maybe that happened even to you this morning, right? It could be the way that we kind of tailor ourselves based on who we're with or who we're talking to with the language that we use or the way that we look. Probably why I don't want to come to the front door if I'm not dressed to impress or haven't washed my hair, right? Because I'm afraid of who might be there to greet me and see this front, see behind the front that I put on as a human, 
So the front door effect has a lot to do with our sense of false self. It's what lies beneath the surface, right? Our sense of false self is when we pretend to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. It's kind of like having a fake ID. Maybe some of you in this room have had a fake ID before. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but it's possible, right, if you've owned one. But I'm going to challenge you to say that we've probably all owned a fake ID at this level. We probably all have this sense of false identity in our lives, whether we admit it or not. The sense of putting on a front, pretending to be something we're not on the outside, pretending to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. Now, the real trouble with this is when we start to put our fake ID above our real me. When what lies below the surface, our real me, is just squashed by the sense of fake ID. It starts to become to this point where we have this persona about us, right? These expectations or standards that we're trying to live up to. And it can lead to impacting us on a daily level because we're constantly striving, trying to meet these expectations and standards that we've set for ourselves or feel like others have set for ourselves. And we can't meet them because it's not the reality of who we are. We're setting ourselves up for failure here by trying to meet these standards and expectations. And it leaves us feeling really worn down, defeated even, broken, because it's not the reality of who we are intended to be. And if you're wondering if this fake ID applies to you, if you're trying to think back of, yeah, you know, have I not answered the door? That's one example, but let's dig a little deeper this morning. So I'm gonna challenge you to be really honest with yourself and only yourself, so you're in your own head right now. And we're gonna answer a few questions, okay? So you're gonna rate yourself on how often these things happen in your life, okay? So there'll be some things on the screen. We're going to go through them together. And how often do you find yourself doing these things, whether on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, never, right? And just start to think of some of these scenarios and how they may play a part in your life, okay? Just to help us identify kind of where this sense of false identity falls into our own lives. So our first one on our list is how often do you compare yourself to others, how often do you find yourself seeing what someone else, has ha- someone else has and comparing, coveting, getting jealous, right? Or thinking about others, sometimes more than you're even thinking about yourself. And the next one on our list is how often do you avoid disapproval? How hard is it for you to say no to someone in your life, right? Out of fear of disapproving or letting them down. Next we have, how often do you become defensive or easily offended by people's comments or remarks or Facebook posts, right? How often does that play a part into your life? Next we have, how often do you avoid looking weak or foolish? How hard is it for you to laugh at your own insecurities or your flaws? Next, we have, how often do you find your source of self-worth outside of yourself? 
How often are you looking for that sense of value or love from your belongings, things, from other people? And our last one that we have is how often do you act like a different person based on different scenarios, um, different people that you're with, different places that you're at, whether that's if you act like a different person here in this room than you do in the car going home, right? How often does that happen for you? Now, none of this is intended to blame or shame or show any form of judgment. We're really truly not about that here at Infuse. We are all imperfect people. And that means we're all kind of on the same playing field. From me, um, Pastor Taylor, all of us, we're on the same playing field here with this. We all have some form of fake ID in our life. And I will challenge you to say that this list that we had up there is not intended to make you feel bad about yourself, but to point out areas of weakness in your sense of identity so that we can move forward today to heal what's holding us back. A lot of us in this room have probably tried to live someone else's life, maybe you currently are, or at least tried to live up to someone else's expectations of us, right? So how can we choose to flip this and instead put the real me above the fake ID? How do we get that in our lives? And when we do, how can that change how we see ourselves, how we see others, and even how we relate to God? And that is what we are going to tackle today. Um, for those of you that know me, you might know this about me, but I'm really kind of like a concrete steps kind of person. Like I like to have somewhat of a plan. I'm not super type A, but I would like to have a plan, right? I want to get from point A to point B and kind of know how we're going to get there. And if someone gives me a problem, I'd really like to have like at least two solutions like that. It's hard for me to ruminate on problems here. So I'm going to do exactly that for you today. When we leave here today, we're going to have two concrete steps, two ways to really dig into getting to know the real you, the real me. So to do that, we're going to learn from Jesus, the example of Jesus, because believe it or not, he also had a lot of expectations on his life before he was even born. He had a lot of expectations because for those of you who are less familiar with the Bible, I'm gonna break it down a little bit today. I also was pretty less familiar with the Bible myself, even for growing up in church. Um, but the way that I kind of look at it is we have the front, not front half, but front section of the Bible, right? That chunk is the Old Testament. Then we got this chunk towards the back of the Bible called the New Testament. And the way that these two things are separated is that the Old Testament is pre-Jesus and the New Testament is post-Jesus. Um, so there's a big change between these two sections in the Bible. And I want, really wanted to make a pre-COVID, post-COVID joke, but then, I don't know. <laughs> Didn't know if it was time or not, so I decided to leave it out. But you can think of it kind of like this big event that changes your life, right? You've got your pre-COVID life and your post-COVID life. And Jesus changed a lot for a lot of people, including many of us today. So in the Old Testament, that front half, pre-Jesus, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things happening. Um, it can be a little harder for me personally to read because there's so much going on. Um, but in that section, God tells his people, he's like, 
hang on, I'm gonna send someone that's gonna help you figure this out. Just keep hanging on. There is a savior, a Messiah. There's this person coming who's gonna save you and restore order to your chaos. So he tells them this in this front section, the Old Testament. And then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a little bit of a gap I would say, I don't know if some of you know this, this was news to me, Um, but the Old Testament, the last book, um, Malachi, that was written, was probably written, historians are guessing, around 400 BC, based on the best estimates that they have, and the first letter of the New Testament was written 400 plus years later. So there's like a 400 year gap here, where people are just hanging out, waiting on that promised Messiah, they don't know his name's Jesus yet, I don't know, but they're waiting on him, right? So 400 years is a long time for lots of people to set some expectations for this promised, long-awaited Savior, and they do just that. You've got your group of people, most of them probably think he's going to be really similar to the leaders and kings of this time, of this era, um, but better, but like King 4.0, version 4.0. And so there's many people who think that he's gonna come and destroy and conquer land and territory and take it back, right? Because that's what they've seen other great leaders do. Um, They have a group of people that think he's gonna reign forever, that once he's here, like that is it, lifelong, he's in for life. And they're waiting for that moment. Um, They probably think he's gonna establish some sense of order to the chaos that they're living, right? Especially even order of like ranking. That's a big thing back then too. Um, Where he ranks, where other people rank, where his followers rank amongst the people. And they definitely thought he was gonna be very royal and prestigious, priestly, because that's what they've seen all of their other great leaders do. But surprise, surprise, (laughs) Jesus did not live up to those expectations, which was surprising for many people. Um, He was born to fully God, fully human, to an average family, born in a manger. That's a pretty popular Bible story for most of us. Um, He wasn't royal. That's a big thing. Didn't live up to that expectation. And he walked among the people with a sense of grace and truth. He didn't really flash his ego and status like people expected him to. And he also spoke to a lot of outcasts, um, the sick. He washed the feet of his disciples or followers and friends. He literally made himself a servant, which is something they had never seen a great leader do before, which is probably why he wasn't a very popular guy at the time, um, because he didn't live up to those expectations that people had placed on him. But Jesus didn't fall for the front door effect, right? He defied the front door effect because he didn't feel the need to fancy up his front steps for other people. And a great example of this I'm going to share with you guys today, it's a little bit of Instagram versus reality. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I think it's like an internet trend. Um, Instead of showing you a video, you guys can look into it yourself, but basically they show like a picture of something, like whether that's like a photo you're trying to recreate or like a cake you're gonna bake, right? And the Instagram version, and then the reality of what it looks like, it's usually not, doesn't always match up, right? Instagram versus reality. So we have one of those moments with Jesus here um, because another great leader at this time, 
so great it's in his name, Alexander the Great, um, can be found in our history books. And we know that around 320 BC, Alexander the Great entered the city of Jerusalem. So I found an illustrated depiction of this. I'm not 100% sure how completely accurate this is, but the general sense is here that when Alexander the Great entered, right, he's on this horse. I, for a while, I thought the horse was wearing a hat, but I think the guy behind him is wearing a hat. Um, but he's dressed in these clothes, very bright colors, nice little skirt. He's got lots of people around him with shields, fancy hats. Um, if we were going to compare his dress to now, we could even say like some designer brands, like, you know, a little Gucci. I don't know what else is popular or expensive, but something like that, right? He's coming into Jerusalem with the full pomp and circumstance. This is our Instagram version. Now, years later, Jesus also enters Jerusalem. We can read about this in the Bible about how he enters, but here's a reality version picture of Jesus. He's entering on a donkey. It's a little more low scale. Um, this guy's barely wearing clothes, so I don't know what's going on with that. And then Jesus is just kind of in, you know, not that Target's bad, but Target, right? He's the average person, jeans and a t-shirt kind of guy. And he's riding on, on his donkey. Not as many bright colors, definitely no fancy hats to be seen. Because Jesus didn't need to fancy up his front step. He was so confident in his identity and his real me identity that he didn't need to have this sense of false self. It probably helped that he was also fully God, fully human, perfect guy. So that's a plus. He's got that going for him. But I think that we can even learn a few more things that we can practice in our own lives from Jesus on how to really discover the real me that lies beneath the surface and start to bring it above the surface. So we're going to dig in here today to these two steps and the first one that we have to get to know the real me. Ooh, that's hard to read on that. I don't know if we can change that. There we go. To get to know the real me, our first thing we can do is to differentiate. Now, differentiate is technically not like a biblical concept, although we do see it in the Bible play out, and I'll share that with you, but it's really more of a a term from psychology. So maybe some of you have heard this before, but to differentiate means to remain connected to people, to the people around us, but you're not gonna allow your reactions or behaviors to be impacted by them. Remain connected to people without allowing your reactions or behaviors to be impacted by them. Kind of a challenging thing to do for most of us, right? But it is the first step of really digging in deeper to getting to know this true sense of ourselves by not relying on other people or others' reactions um, or comments to base our emotions. One way we see this play out in our own lives is through the families that we grow up with our families of origin, how we were raised, the people that influenced us, because they shape a lot of our identity. Um, but then when we leave the house, um, when we branch apart from them to whatever degree, we start to shape our own beliefs, our own systems, our own traditions, right? We differentiate from the family that we grew up with. So we we're, we're all kind of do that at some point, but it's the degree to which we're differentiated. So to be fully differentiated would look a little something like this. Imagine this scenario in your head. Um, you go home for the holidays, 
and your parents or your grandparents, um, they start to make some comments about your political views, um, your appearance, your parenting styles, um, your love life, right? Love to comment all of those things. So that starts happening. You're feeling it. Um, and instead of getting so angry that you're yelling, screaming, hawk smashing the table, or just shutting down inside of your glass case of emotion, instead of letting all those things get to you, you're so fully differentiated from them, from those things, that you don't allow them to impact your behaviors or reactions right? It doesn't cause that to happen with inside of you because although you've remained connected to those people, they're your family, you're not allowing them to influence you to that level, right? To get to you at that point. That would be what full differentiation would look like in your life. And it's not an easy thing to achieve by any means, right? But wouldn't it be nice? I feel like that'd be nice in my life too. And in the Bible, we can see an example of this from Jesus himself. As young as 12 years old, Jesus was pretty fully differentiated. So just a mature guy, probably fully God, fully human again, but um, we don't see a lot of stories of Jesus as an adolescent in the Bible, but one of them that was included, Luke chose to include it in his um, book of the Bible, his account of Jesus's life and the events and stories of his life. And I think this is one of the reasons why, I would imagine, um, and as an adolescent, 12 years old, Jesus had traveled with his parents, um, and traveling this time is like an investment. They are walking. They are riding the donkey. Um, it's taken a few days to get to their destination, so imagine like a cross-country kind of road trip, right? Um, and as they go, they go to this Passover festival in Jerusalem, and then they leave. It's over. They're all headed back home. They packed up. Uh, but they realize at some point, actually a day into their travels, Luke tells us, that Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, he's not there. He is no longer with his parents and their family. They search for him amongst the people they're traveling with. Nope, he's not there. So sense of panic for all the parents in the room. And I'm genuinely curious because this does happen <laughs> to people today, right? Like parenting is hard. There's a lot of stories of like kids getting left at gas stations, restaurants, like on vacation. And I do get a little giggle out of those if they end well, right? But it happens. And it happened to Jesus' parents too. Very relatable. Um, and so they decide at this point, like we got to turn around. got to go back for Jesus. He's only 12, it's a whole day to get back there. And then when they are there, they're searching for him for like two more days. But we can catch up to where they're at in the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, where we can read that after three days, they found him in the temple's court, sitting among the teachers, among the people there in the temple, probably a lot older than him. And he was listening to them, and he was asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at Jesus' understanding and his answers. Jesus was already being the great teacher that we know him to be at 12 years old. But when his parents saw him, imagine, probably not a very pleasant reaction, um, they were astonished, not by amazed by how great of a teacher he was, but it goes on to tell us, that his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? What are you thinking staying here and not following along with the pack? You're 12. You should know better by now, I'd imagine. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you for three 
days. Parents, imagine what that would feel like. Or if you have any kind of loved one in your life that you were searching for for three days, I'd be pretty anxious and worried, to say the least. So they've been anxiously searching. But Jesus, when he answers here, um, it's kind of over his head that the fact that his parents are like upset and anxious and worried. Um, He says, why were you searching for me? What? Why would you do that, mom and dad? Seems kind of strange because didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that this is where I'm supposed to be? This is what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be teaching here in God's temple to these people? He was so fully differentiated at this point, and he knew his true, his real me identity, right? He was practicing it already at 12. And he didn't feel anxious or worried. It's actually, I don't think it's really documented much in the Bible that he felt anxious or worried. He's felt other things, and we're going to get to that, but not anxiety or worry, because he knew so deep his sense of real me. He didn't have this fake ID that so many of us struggle with. And it made a big difference in his life. Can you imagine your life lacking anxiety or worry? Like, hello, that'd be fantastic, right? And I'm not saying that discovering your real me is going to solve all of those problems. It's not. But it is a good step forward to getting to know the real me, to differentiating from other people, so much so that you just know where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. And it doesn't matter If your parents are anxiously searching for you, it's probably a bad example, but (laughs) it does matter. Don't leave your parents, kids. Um, But we have this sense of real me so deep inside of ourselves that we don't feel those things. Such a strong sense of our real identity. We're going to move on, though, to the next step. So in step number two, the second way that we can get to know the real me is to learn to feel Now, when we get to this one, I'm sure that there's a handful of people in the room that like read that and instantly are like, "Eh, I don't do emotions. I'm not an emotional kind of person. You can show me as many um, Arms of an Angel, Sarah McLachlan, Sad Dog videos that you want. I'm not going to cry. I'm tough, right? Hard to break. And that's probably true. You are maybe less emotional outwardly. But I'm going to counter that by telling you that If you aren't feeling, you're dead. That's the definition of death, right? I mean, if you're not feeling, then you're probably dead. And I hope none of you are really dead on the inside because we still have those feelings, even if they're covered up, even if we're choosing not to show them outwardly or admit or recognize them, they're still in us somewhere. So this applies to all of us, whether you do emotions or don't do emotions, this would be a big challenge for you, right? And again, we all have these emotions, and we can see an example of this even in the Bible, because um, God, many of us believe that we're created in God's image, and if you believe that, then you definitely have emotions, because God gave Jesus emotions too, He didn't just skip over Jesus. Jesus was fully human and fully God, and He had feelings and emotions that are well documented throughout the Bible. I'm not going to list them all up on the screen for you today, but you can see, I'll read a few of them for you. In John chapter 11, he wept over the death of Lazarus. He cries again in Luke chapter 9 um, over the city of Jerusalem. He wept over it. In Mark 
It's documented in chapter three that he looked at others with anger and deep despair. There's lots of many other times too that are documented of Jesus feeling full of joy and compassion and love. But he's felt that whole range of emotions. He wasn't immune to that because he was a human too. And so are we. We're not immune to feelings. They're there. So when we learn to feel, what that really looks like is to name the feelings that we have. To recognize them within ourselves when they're happening and to lean into them, dig into them deeper instead of running away from them out of sheer discomfort. Right? That's what learning to feel looks like in our lives. A good way to kind of think about this is like to reflect back on a time recently that you felt really angry or sad in your life and then ask yourself some really good questions about that. Why am I feeling that way? Not the surface level why, but why deeper am I feeling that way? What is causing this feeling in my life? Was there a trigger, but it's really something else? I'm reflecting on that, asking myself these questions, and how am I handling these emotions in my life? Am I coping with this in a healthy way? What am I doing about this emotion in my life? What am I going to do the next time this emotion shows up in my life? And when we ask ourselves that, at least for myself, when I reflect on the questions that way about my, my anger specifically, right? If I'm feeling angry, I can kind of spiral into this angry despair where like it doesn't matter what good thing is happening, I'm really angry still. It's not a good place to be. But to cut off that spiral, to kind of stop that spiral, if you can recognize, learn to feel, recognize those emotions, and get to the core of what's causing it, reflect on that in your life. Is it coming from a place of your real me identity, or are you trying to live up to this fake ID standard? Like, what is it in your life that's causing that? And when you can recognize it, you can really stop the spiral. We can decrease the amount of problems that that thing is causing in our lives. We're teaching this to our kids in the school systems, too. Um, many places are doing, like, emotional regulation, self-regulation. Parents are probably teaching their kids this, too. I encourage you to look into lots of different avenues of that because it's really beneficial knowledge, right? And it makes a difference not only on ourselves but our relationships with others, our satisfaction with life in general or our careers, and it can make a huge difference when we're doing both of these things with our ability to connect with and understand God or our faith. Because if you think about it, if God gave us these emotions, if that's what we believe, then they probably serve some form of a purpose, right? Like if he gave us this emotion, they probably serve some form of purpose. Like maybe he's trying to speak to us from the inside out. And reflecting on your feelings that way can really show us something that we might have been missing out on in our relationship with God. Because to know yourself, to know your real me, is to know God. It can be really hard, and for many of you who maybe are still exploring faith, don't have this whole Jesus-God thing figured out, we encourage that here at Infuse to explore your faith. And if you're doing that, one of the questions that maybe you reflect on, or if you haven't before, is that how can I get to know a God who essentially made me if I don't even feel like I know myself, right? Or even if you've been following Jesus for a while and you feel like it's been a hard journey, 
or that path has just felt extra resistance, maybe we need to dig into knowing yourself, your real me, to get to know God better, to get over that wall on your journey with God. So I encourage you to unlock your real me, to know, get to know your true self, because not only is it the key to connecting further with God, to knowing his will for your life, but it's also gonna help us be a better person. We're gonna have better relationships. We're gonna be a more genuinely loving person that can connect to other people because of it. We're gonna be better coworkers, better family members, better friends. To those that we meet, when we know our real me sense of identity. Having this outlook can really change your perspective because you know your real self and you know who you were intended to be so much so that you might unlock things that you've been missing out on for a long time. So I know I gave you those two concrete steps to accomplish this and really reflect on those in your own life, but also I wanna give you some things you can do today, you can do this week that just kinda get you started on this path. So I have a list of those here, we're gonna run through them, but you can slow down in your own life. This is a big one, silence. There's so much noise in our world, in our lives. And when I go on walks, like that's my me time, but then I'm listening to like a podcast or music, like there's something constantly in my ear. That's how I like to live my life. But slowing down with silence, you're reflecting on your, your real me identity. It can give you a chance to do that. I challenged myself this week to walk um, 30 minutes with no headphones, and I did it every day, and one day, um, I got 30 minutes in, and I was like, okay, pop my headphones in now, that's done, to realize my phone was dying, and so that was gonna happen. So it was a 60-minute silent walk, and wow, you just really challenge yourself, so if you wanna throw yourself in there, just leave the headphones at home, but slow down and have some silence in your life to think those thoughts. The next one is to look for wise companions. So in your life, is there someone that you can reach out to, um, connect with, ask some questions to? Here at Infuse, that might look like filling out your connection card if you're a first-time guest today so that we can get to know you better. Um, answer any questions that you may have, right? That's our intended purpose for those, is to be able to reach out to you. So maybe it looks like that. We're having groups launch in September where you can join with a group of people, four to six individuals or couples, and just dive in deeper to some of the um, topics with wise companions. But the next two kind of go with this because to do those things, to um, seek out other people, to slow down your life, it's probably going to mean that most of us are going to have to move out of our comfort zone, get a little uncomfortable, which is hard which is why the last one is have courage, <laughs> because these things are gonna be challenging, they're gonna throw you some loops, but have courage, be brave, because we can do hard things. I love that saying, right? Many of you know that too. We can do hard things, and when we do, that's when we grow. That's when we get to know the real me. So this morning, I just challenge you to do yourself a favor, ditch your fake ID, throw it out, and put in the time and effort that it takes to build differentiation into your life, to learn, to feel, and to discover the real you, and in doing so, discover all that lies beneath the surface that God has inside of you. Bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the real me, for the way that you have created us, 
the things you've instilled inside of us, whether we've been able to unlock those or not, we thank you for them. We thank you for the opportunity to figure it out, to take those steps in our lives. Help us though, to have the courage that we need, because it's not gonna be easy. We've built up the sense of false identity over time, God, and for many different reasons. Help us to break that down. Help us to dig beneath the surface and in doing so, stay strong, resilient in you, Lord. Give us that strength. I pray for all of us in this room, those watching online, that we can take these steps into our life that we can learn to know ourselves at a deeper level and hopefully, God, begin to experience what you have in store for us. I pray these things in your name, Heavenly Father. Amen.